Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's Platinum Sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Joan Berfoot, CEO and founder of the Alliance for Innovative Regulation and the host of the podcast Barefoot Innovation. Joan is a famous advocate of regulation innovation and is one of the most active and visible fintech leaders working to improve and modernize financial regulation around the world. She's also a senior fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School Center for Business and Government, and in the past was deputy controller of the currency of the United States and a staff member at the U.S. Senate Banking Committee. And now join me in a great chat with Joanne Barefoot. Well, Joanne, thank you for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Extremely excited to have you here. It's really an honor. Can we start by hearing a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, thank you for having me, Miguel. It's great to be here. I have a long background in and around financial regulation with an emphasis on consumer protection and financial inclusion. I was a deputy controller of the currency in the United States long ago. And um, before that, I worked for the Senate Banking Committee I was a partner and managing director at KPMG for a number of years and involved in various consulting startups. Then I spent two years at Harvard in the Kennedy School on a senior fellowship researching and writing about financial innovation and how to regulate it. And most of my work through the years was focused on, as I mentioned, sort of consumer impacts of finance and trying to protect people through regulation. And as I began to immerse in technology about seven or eight years ago, it occurred to me that we were seeing the emergence of new technologies in fintech that could accomplish a lot of the things that regulation had not accomplished in terms of making consumer financial services more accessible, more affordable, easier to use, more fair. And so I, ever since then, have been mainly working on how to create a regulatory environment in which fintech can flourish. That's exciting. And you've really had, I guess it's what can be called as a front row seat to the evolution of the industry. And you take an approach that is not necessarily too mainstream, I would say, but it's actually super important. And you've managed to put it in the front lines of attention. And that is the relationship with the, with the regulators, right? And then what I like is that you travel around the world and you talk to multiple regulators. What are some of the interesting examples that you've seen around the world of regulators that are, are doing a, perhaps a better job than others? Yeah. So, you know, if we step back and think about there's sort of a stereotype that the regulation is what it is, it's going to be slow, it's going to be low tech, certainly going to be lagging the tech world. And those things are true. In fact, to a large extent, it's designed that way. I like to say it's a feature, not a bug, that regulators are cautious and careful and prudent and all of it. 
But what we are seeing today is a revolution in regulatory thinking. Most of it is not very visible yet in public, but it's happening everywhere. And I think I would point first and foremost to the UK Financial Conduct Authority and often also the Bank of England working with them. They began figuring out a new approach to regulation in about 2015, and it has now grown into being a full division there. They've got a couple hundred people, about half of whom are data scientists, and they invented their famous regulatory sandbox, which I imagine most of your listeners are familiar with. And I always have thought that was um, genius in branding because on one level, they're very humble and they say, we haven't figured things out. We're just experimenting. But by calling it a sandbox, they got the whole world to sit up and take notice because it was something new and different. Instead of if they had called it a pilot project, probably nobody would have even noticed. But they run their sandbox and then they also invented the reg tech sprint process, the uh, notion of doing regulators doing hackathons for regulatory purposes. They've done six or eight of those now. So they've found ways to experiment and learn rapidly and to interact in new ways with the regulatory community. And then they've put that into a lot of important projects. One of them is running now called the Digital Regulatory Reporting Project. And uh, they're trying to look at how to convert the information they need to collect as regulators into digital form so they can take it in and uh, use it the way we use digital information. So I could talk at length about how much I admire what they're doing. Another really strong leader in the world has been Singapore. Those two really got out ahead of most people, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, Robin and Sopnandu Mahanti. And um, they've done all kinds of experimentation. They have a simpler regulatory and industry structure in Singapore than some countries do, which may be part of why they've been able to be so experimental. But they have invested in all kinds of innovation, including actually seeding reg tech and fintech innovation in in the space in Singapore and as a big regional hub, hub too. Abu Dhabi is another one that has actually imported people from both the FCA and MAS to help them create a very forward-looking group also. A lot of these have been motivated by being regional leaders and attracting fintech to where they are. The UK started before Brexit complicated their situation, but they're still really going strong. One other thing I'll mention maybe is, speaking of digital regulatory reporting, the G20 has a project going this year to look at three regulatory use cases that are globally important. They collected problem statements from countries throughout the world, regulators throughout the world, on what issues they're grappling with. And they pick three cases. One is how regulators can share information, especially in a crisis like a pandemic, do that safely and securely. The second is anti-money laundering in the crypto space, new tools for that. And the third one is digital regulatory reporting. And I am a judge in the third one. And I will tell you, I have been really astonished at the quality of the proposals that have come in with really important new thinking about how to craft a really digital reporting system, including 
it one in which regulations could be machine readable. There's a lot of work going on in that through the world, but also machine executable. The going back to the FCA, they pioneered this idea of machine executable regulation that could be issued in the form of code plugged into the data of a bank or a fintech and a program to produce a correct report in seconds, as opposed to the months or sometimes years it takes to do it the old fashioned way. So some of this is really cutting edge thinking can say, can produce a win-win where you can save money for the industry and get better regulatory results at the same time. Yeah, that sounds really huge. I mean, I think banks have departments that are really full of expensive staff dedicated at interpreting this regulation. So if, if it all of a sudden becomes machine readable and executable, that can be groundbreaking. Are these proposals that you're judging for the G20, are they coming from G20 countries or from all over the world? You know, I haven't asked myself if they're all G20 companies, but they're coming from all over the world. And there are many that have, or at least several in the final round that have had use cases that are coming from emerging markets. And I think you're putting your finger on an important issue. We need to have a regulatory system that can move the whole world forward digitally. And some of the emerging market countries have sort of counterintuitively an advantage in not having a lot of complicated regulatory infrastructure there already and have an opportunity to leapfrog to some extent. You know, it's easier to start from scratch with digital activities than it is to try to retrofit them onto older systems a lot of the time. So there is a big effort to have a unified effort that binds together the world. I feel like I should be naming more names. There are so many people working on interesting things in the space. John, so you are involved in a number of initiatives to really push regulation forward. And I mean, you have your podcasts, uh, you have you know, a number of initiatives, right? But one of this that I think is extremely interesting is the Alliance for Innovative Regulation. And you're the founder and CEO. I'd love to hear more about it. Yes, thank you. And thank you for mentioning the podcast. The podcast show is called Barefoot Innovation, and we would love to have your listeners listen to that. So we founded AIR, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, last year. It's a nonprofit, and it is dedicated to trying to help catalyze and shape a conversion of the financial regulatory system to what we call digitally native design and architecture and make it work optimize it for the digital age. And um, so we have a lot of initiatives underway. If your listeners come to our site at regulationinnovation.org, we have white papers. We actually have a case study coming out soon of the Financial Conduct Authority's uh, innovation program with sort of the how did they manage to do this uh, storytelling, which I think is going to be really interesting So we do research and white papers and thought leadership. We do a lot of convening. We really believe in convening across the silos and especially getting the regulatory and the tech people in the room together. And then we have a dimension that we call action that is about making things happen, seeding and proving out pilots and POC types of programs. And, um, We work closely with regulatory 
bodies in the U.S. and around the world, sometimes in public and sometimes just trying to help them think things through. And as I mentioned, we see amazing progress everywhere. We're in a fortunate position to have a picture of this that most people can't see. And it makes us very, very optimistic about it. And then most recently in July, we put out a big white paper called the RegTech Manifesto. And we intentionally gave that a provocative name in the hopes that it would make people read it and not just put it on their reading stack. And we issued it in the form of a request for comments and RFC. We lay out the case for why we have to convert the system, what a new digitally native system would look like, and how you get there from here, which is difficult. I can only imagine you're receiving a lot of support from the private sector, from fintech startups in particular. How has been the response also from the regulatory side? Are you reaching the kind of momentum that you hoped? Yeah, we are very excited about the results so far. In fact, we could almost write a whole new manifesto now, two and a half months later, based on the input we've been getting from people. So there is an open comment capability on it on our site, and we're actually just putting it up as a Google Doc that people can comment on in the doc itself as well. And then we're getting a lot of private comments too, including we're doing briefings for many regulatory agencies. We'd be happy to do that if you have listeners who are at agencies that would like to talk this through. And then we're doing a lot of briefings also for the private sector. We want to build a community of practice around this work. And so we're finding people. I was on the phone yesterday with a U.S. regulatory agency that has a very ambitious plan for reorganizing how they do this kind of work. And um, they were saying one of the things they're doing is they've adopted a policy of leave no one behind. You know, a lot of people feel threatened by technology change in general and specifically on this. And as you said, there's amazing cost savings to be gleaned from digitization, makes everything better, cheaper, and faster at the same time. But the vision isn't, therefore, to slash headcount in most areas as much as it is to be a lot smarter about how we do regulation. If you look at the area of anti-money laundering, the UN statistics suggest that we've got around $2 trillion a year being laundered and that we catch less than 1% of it. And that's mostly because we have old technology all through the space. And we also have difficulty sharing data because the data is stranded in silos. And uh, with better technology, better privacy-enhancing technologies, we can enable AI and machine learning-based solutions to find the patterns of money laundering in big data sets across borders, across industries, and begin to use that to home in on the problems that uh, need to be actually investigated by the human beings. So there's so much opportunity to do that. And we're getting tremendous interest from the regulators. And I'm looking at your website right now, regulationinnovation.org, and you've really assembled a great team, not just with your co-founder, but also your board, advisory council, and tech council. How did you bring everyone together? Yes, my co-founder is David Eric, who has been a banker and a fintech founder and an advocate for consumers as well. Fantastic background. 
And our board includes former controller of the currency, Thomas Curry, and former White House FinTech advisor, Adrian Harris, among others. You know, we are doing something that excites people. I mean, I've worked on my whole life in regulation, and I know, as I said before, that there's a stereotype that it's boring and that it's check the box process and it's red tape. But when you frame up the problems that we're trying to solve in finance and financial regulation in human terms, these matter. Catching human trafficking and wildlife and weapons and drugs and so on is something that makes people want to come and help. If you think about financial inclusion and the opportunity we're getting through fintech to bring, you may know the the estimates that there's about 2 billion people in the world still who are not connected to the mainstream financial system through an account. That number is shrinking rapidly. The, the World Bank Sustainable Development Goals in recent years have really, you know, we've brought hundreds of millions of people into the mainstream of the financial system just by enabling services to be delivered through a mobile phone instead of a bank branch. You know, that's the most democratizing development in the history of finance, I think. So we have this flowering of innovation using AI, using crypto and blockchains, using voice technologies, easy translation, natural language processing, and all of it. And uh, there's a very high risk. And I say this as a former regulator, and I love regulators. There's a very high risk that we're going to regulate all that wrong. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just that the regulatory process, as I said before, it's designed to be deliberative and that makes it slow. And the technology isn't waiting. The technology is growing exponentially and the regulatory system is designed to be linear. And so when we have stepped up and said, we want to promote fully inclusive finance, we want to promote good consumer protection, as more and more people come into the financial system, we want to counter financial crime. We want to make sure that the financial system globally is safe and sound and stable and that we don't have repeats of the financial crisis. And then just look at the COVID environment. Regulators are realizing that they don't have the information they need to see clearly what's happening in the system today. We know we're losing millions of small businesses. We know consumers are being hurt by unemployment. And we're trying to see into that reality with old, slow, you know, often 30-year-old technology. We should have digital information. So regulators and policymakers have real-time data, complete data, powerful tools to analyze emerging risks and threats. And when we stepped up as air and said, we're going to make this happen, we just had amazing people come and volunteer to get involved. And um, we're very, very fortunate. We're a small organization. We have a very mighty and globally connected uh, community. We sometimes call them the Air Force, actually, the people who are trying to help. That's exciting. And congratulations. Now, speaking a little bit on the impact of COVID, we haven't mentioned too much the big elephant in the room that's COVID. How has the relationship between the private sector and the regulators been affected in the last six months? I think we're seeing in 
fintech and in regulation of fintech, regulation of everything, really. The same phenomenon we see in everything else, which is the pandemic has massively pushed activity into online and digital channels, and it has accelerated the technology change that was in motion before, but maybe was moving slowly. I talked to one regulator who said the last financial crisis froze up innovation, it kind of paralyzed everything. This one's accelerating it. So the regulators have been having to figure out new ways to gather information without going on site as much as they have in the past. They have been wanting the industry to be adopting technology faster. Here in the United States, as the government rolled out the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP program, to rescue small businesses with loans that could keep them afloat, one of the things we realized was vast swaths of the financial system didn't have the capability to do digital onboarding. You know, people were still going into the branch to talk about a small business loan. Now the branches were closed. So the regulators have been really encouraging and fostering more rapid uptake of technology by the industry in this situation. And then the COVID rescue programs, unfortunately, are also bringing fraud and money laundering attracted to the fact that there's a lot of money being moved. And um, the regulators know that they need new tools to be able to find that and root it out and punish it as well. So really all across the spectrum. And then the bank regulators looking at safety and soundness of the banking system are trying to gather more information just to know whether the system is, is in good shape, which banks are so far, fortunately. You know, understand at a more micro level what's happening in different sectors. What are, the, again, what are the emerging risks that they need to be on top of? That's uh, very interesting. And in fact, on this podcast, we also bring entrepreneurs from all over the world. And one of the interesting interviews that we had was with Tarek El Sharif from Zinobe in Colombia. And they had the case where the regulator wanted to disperse this packages of relief and help for the population. And most of the people they wanted to reach were not connected to the banking, traditional banking system. And so they partner very quickly with startups like Zinobe in Colombia to reach these people, to reach the underbank. So I thought that was a fascinating case. Yeah, I've heard of other countries with the exact same situation. Yeah, absolutely. And John, from your point of view, right, are there any particular fintech verticals that you are paying particular attention to? Yeah, a couple of them. One is more old and traditional, I guess, in a way, if you can say that about fintech, (laughs) which is in the lending space. I think we're about to see a regulatory breakthrough on using new kinds of data for underwriting. The fintechs have pioneered this. The banking industry, again, being a little more cautious and more intensely regulated, has been slower to adopt it, partly out of regulatory concerns, including, well, use of these kinds of techniques increase so-called disparate impact loan discrimination might it have a disproportionately adverse effect. And let me say the focus this year on Black Lives Matter in the wake of the police killing of George Floyd has also massively accelerated the regulators' concerns 
about financial fairness and equality of opportunity. And so I think we're going to see increasing readiness by the regulators. Some of them have made public statements on it of uh, openness to seeing alternative techniques that go beyond credit history and credit score and start looking at things like your cash flow and then more broadly big data types of information that may we could do a whole show on this because it's going to be very complicated to figure out what those rules of the road should be but i think there's a lot of motivation to do it because the research so far is indicating that if you do this you can both make loans that are more inclusive and you can maintain your soundness of your lending so it's just a smart thing we need to figure out how to do it the other vertical that i would point to of course is payments and especially crypto. There's tremendous interest in development of central bank cryptocurrencies. The EU yuan is being tested in China already, could have the potential to transform massive parts of how payments are made, and not to mention things like Facebook and uh, Libra. And then many other countries are looking at digital dollars in the United States, digital currencies issued by central banks. And then on top of that, we just see tremendous innovation in the crypto world, in the payment space, with or without the government being at the table. So if you think about the natural cycle of innovation, we go through the first phase. I like to quote Peter Diamandis on this. We go through the first phase, which is digitization. Then you go into a phase that he calls deception, which is there may be a lot of hype around something, but it doesn't really do anything big for a while. And you can point to the early phase of Bitcoin in that category. But then it gets to the disruption phase when it really catches on. And then it gets widely distributed. And those things happen faster than you're expecting. Everything is slow, slow, slow. And then it's fast. And I think we're moving into that with a lot of the crypto and developments. Miguel, I know we're going to run short on time. I'd like to mention our new project, which has come right out of the RegTech Manifesto feedback that we're getting. And we are calling it the Regulatory Design Project. And it is, we're conceiving of it as a public-private initiative to bring together working capability, open our door at AIR as a nonprofit neutral space and bring the regulators and the industry and the academics and advocates together in tackling the biggest barriers to digitization of regulation. We are envisioning it as an international project. We are envisioning it as covering both the large economies and the emerging economies. It's breathtakingly ambitious, but we're figuring out where to start and how to link it to the many exciting initiatives that are already underway all over the world, but are siloed and fragmentary. Most of them are either in a single country or therefore a single piece of the the financial world. And we're trying to figure out particularly how can we create data standards at a granular level that can be digitized so that they can be put to use in many kinds of environments. Something regulators talk to us about all the time is that the human readable 
regulations that we work with today have to go through interpretation. The regulators issue them on paper, people read them, they talk to their lawyers, they talk to their assistance people, their compliance people, they create compliance capabilities, they report that information back. And it is not necessarily apples to apples. And it also is extremely expensive to run that and even more expensive to change it. And our regulatory body of rules is changing all the time. There's thousands of new requirements coming out every year. So can we digitize that process by creating a building block? You know, you can think of it as the the Lego block that has the ability to make the system interoperable. So we are in a discovery phase of tackling that project. We would love people to come to us with people we know are bringing more people to the table. You know, tech people are coming to the table along with regulatory people, that type of thing. So for the regulatory design project, we can, we're conceiving of it as a five-year project to get that architecture figured out. And then it won't be us, of course, that's implementing it, but we're envisioning producing voluntary standards that are would be optional to adopt, but with close input from both the regulatory community that needs to get the answers and from the financial, the fintech industry and the traditional industry that needs to be able to implement what the regulators are requiring, get the best of both of that thinking into the same room at the same time and really work on creating something that we can leverage and scale. There's so many great experiments all over the world. There's wonderful, wonderful proofs of con sandboxes and everything else. So people are starting to say, okay, we're succeeding in learning from these. Now, how are we going to scale it to really make the system work the way it should and serve people the way we wish it did? So we're going to try to help fill that missing link. Fascinating. Definitely some cutting edge stuff right here, some cutting edge thinking, which uh, is what I like about what you bring to the industry, John. Can we finish off with one question we'd like to ask all of our listeners and that's find out a little bit more about some of the hobbies that you like uh, outside of all the many many projects that you're involved with that's a great question the first thing i always think of if i think about this question is that i'm a fly fisherman i've been able to travel the world to do that and it's a way to get away from the beaten path and see places in a different way. I have to admit I haven't had time to fly fish for a long time so (laughs) that one is is a little on the back burner. I used to be a marathon runner long ago and stopped and now that I am locked down most of the time with COVID I've taken up running again. I live on the river here in Washington and there's a wonderful running path kind of right outside my door. So I'm back into that. And I guess beyond that, and not counting being a mother and a grandmother also, I love technology. I'm a baby boomer, but um, I'm a real technophile. So I like to learn about cutting edge technology for the fun of it. Well, John, thank you again. This really has been fascinating. No doubt our listeners will learn a ton and Obviously, let's hope that this COVID situation passes and, you know, you're always invited to stop by campus this year or next year. 
I would love to do that. I used to live in eastern Pennsylvania near Philadelphia, so that would be wonderful. Thank you for having me, Miguel. It's been a pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you so much, Joanne. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.